Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Hi, everyone. With me today is Chris Guest. He is the CEO and founder of a company called Lightbug. They are based in Bristol, Bristol, UK, and they, they manufacture, sell, and manage GPS tracking devices. So this should be a good episode because I wanted to learn about Chris's experience running a geo-focused business, but also hopefully he can give us a bit of an overview of sort of the state of play of what's going on in the tracking device market and, and what's possible and how things have evolved. So... Chris, welcome to the show. Please introduce yourself a bit. Thanks, Ed. So, yeah, I'm, well, as, as you said, CEO and founder of Lightbug. Um, we've been doing this with my dad for probably the past 15 years. Tra- as you mentioned, tracking is my life. We like to see ourselves as an IoT business, but three is in tracking for law enforcement. So oh. we had uh, companies, or uh, rather, sorry, uh, police in the Netherlands or Spain, they would they'd buy our trackers. They'd magnetize them under drug dealers' cars and then see all the drop-off points. That was how it started. So at that point, it was all very basic. It was a, a modem with a GPS, and you got a text message with coordinates, and you had to go and type that into Google Maps. And then at some point, I think I was about 14, my dad was like, oh, you're good at computers. Can you make me a website to show these on a map? So I gave it my best shot. It was like... By my by today's standards, absolutely horrific. The trackers would upload via FTP, a CSV file, that would get passed in the browser and a bunch of points would pop up. But the point was it worked. And actually that system got, got shown on the, the gadget show and our trackers beat the personal uh, investigator, which I was very proud of at the time. Wow, congrats. Um, I mean, this is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, on so many points, first of all, a multi-generational geo business, but then also, I mean, that's fantastic. That sounds like kind of the early days of, of compared with what we have today. So very cool. Very cool. <laughs> Sorry, Karen. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, please. No, I was just, just going to say that it has been just a kind of a gradual evolution ever since. So as part of what we were doing, we, we developed sort of low power technologies for tracking and I went off to university, had a sort of various contracting, consulting work. I think one of the core ones was uh, developed a sat phone case for an iPhone. So you could turn your iPhone into a satellite phone. That company didn't go anywhere. And at the end of the, but it kind of taught me that I didn't really want to, to work for anyone else. And so after I finished university, we decided to, to start Lightbug. So that's the, I guess, the history of where, where we got to. Well, it sounds like you're exactly the right person then to give us an overview kind of of the space and what's possible and what, what's, how things are evolving. So, But first up, what exactly is Lightbug now? Break down the business for us. So who are the customers? Why do they come to you? What are the problems you're helping them solve? Give, give, us, give us some background there. Sure. Yes. So we started off predominantly in the business to consumer sector. So people would buy our trackers and they'd put them on their pets. We were marketing towards uh, sort of kids with autism or sort of some form of ADHD that would be running off in crowded places. We were convinced that we could get into sort of elderly care, Alzheimer. So again, the wandering use case, giving the peace of mind. Turns out those sectors are really hard to get into, especially healthcare, just generally getting anyone to, to pay for anything is quite difficult. So we kept that going, but have been gradually over the years focusing more and more on the business to business side. And largely that is has traditionally been asset management so gps trackers are mostly always used in business cases for knowing where your assets are 
and helping you recover them if they get stolen. What what kind of assets are we talking about? Vehicles mainly or, or just anything? It's a bit of everything. So vehicles have been the classical ones in that that's the, the easy sector in that there's a power source where we've kind of directed our attention is the ones that aren't powered or don't have like a five volt, 12 volt supply. So that can mean containers. So they go on the back of trucks, but they're not wired to the truck. You can look at generators. Those do have electricity, but it's kind of hard to wire them in. Then you've got literally anything, mining equipment, uh, diggers, haul trucks. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some of the odd ones we've had. How big are these trackers? It's like a phone. It's like the. I mean, is it literally a phone? Like the, how it's, it has a SIM card in it or something? Or yes, yeah. So they all have SIM cards in. And in terms of size, we do one that's about the size of a of a car key fob. Okay. And then we do one that's roughly equivalent to the size of a pack of cards. So they're still they're, they're fairly small, but you, it means that you can't do some of the things that we've been asked to do. For example, tracking jewellery or golf balls or th- things right. like that. Um, we, we get some very interesting uh, inquiries. So in terms of the w- where the assets or which assets are tracked, there tends to be high value assets. So you're looking at the, the medical sector, the construction center sector, the mining sector, various things like that. And what's the business model? People purchase the hardware from you, but then the ongoing, there's like a, a subscription for the connectivity or how, how does it work? Yeah, so exactly that. So they, they buy the hardware from us. The business model traditionally so far has been really focused on that subscription revenue, same as any other tracking business, really. But I actually think by the time this, this is aired, we'll have launched our new model, which is pay per location. So you really much, uh, very much pay, pay as you go type offering <laughs> where you pay for each update that gets sent. So. There's no sort of fixed £5 monthly fee or so. If you're only sending two locations a month or 10 locations a month, you might only pay 50p, something along those lines. So we're we're trying to, to reinvent that because we see that the subscription model is a barrier to a lot of use cases. How much are people paying roughly? Like what does one of these devices cost roughly? So they they retail somewhere between the £70 and £100 pound okay. mark. Then the subscription fee on our end is currently between the five and ten pound mark. Those prices get discounted for businesses, especially in volume, but rough order of magnitude is about right. Okay. Um, yeah. So I can see this would only make sense for a very high value item, you know, yes, that, that yeah. you want to track. Okay. So how have things evolved over the over the years? Like I mean, you know, on the when we think about our phones, everyone's familiar with the fact, you know, 15, 20 years ago you used to carry around a Nokia and now you've got this ultra powerful phone that can do you know 100 times more things and has there been a similar evolution on the tracking side or is it it's been a lot slower and that's actually i would say a bit of a pain point is that people expect smartphone functionality and prices but when they're only buying 100 devices obviously smartphones you've got the economies of scale so they're they're building millions of devices they can hyper optimize everything they can talk to qualcomm directly and when they come to us they have the idea that well, it's just it's just a brick that should work as well as a smartphone, but be a fraction of the cost. Right. So um, <laughs> there's there's been some, but overall it has it has evolved. Things have gotten smaller, less power hungry to some extent. That's mainly to do with the the new like four G technologies. So there's definitely been an evolution. I would say the most significant ones that we're seeing is the the advent of just uh, low power Bluetooth and battery monitoring chips, because there's more and more of that everywhere. Uh, not only in mobile phones, that is, it's helping with the development of IoT products in general. Okay. 
Well, I mean, so when I think about it, there are actually quite a lot of technologies here in play. And I guess you have to kind of be master of all of them, right? I mean, I guess you start with the hardware. Then I guess the device is measuring something. So in our case, I guess it's mainly location. But I guess in theory, it could be measuring other things as well. It has very sensors, right? Then somehow those measurements need to be transmitted, right? You have some kind of connectivity. And then on the other side, I guess you have software that receives that. And, and then then you do things with that data. I mean, take us through kind of the whole stack and which which pieces are you working on? Are you working on all of them? Or, or I would imagine for a small business, it must be difficult, right? Because there are so many different pieces in play here. Yeah, so I mean, all of that is very accurate. Um, so we do do every part of it and a lot of it lies in my head in some ways. Um, so we've got, so you mentioned the, the data collection side. So we've got the GPS, so kind of your standard GPS, newer chipsets actually tie them back to the, the advances in smartphone. Uh, they're using multi-constellations. So you got Galileo, you got QZSS, can't remember what the other one is, GLONASS for Russia. Now we get chipsets that integrate all of those satellite constellations to, to give you a more accurate location. So you've got that location aspect. Then in terms of the sensor aspects, temperature, pressure, humidity, lights, we do all of those, but in my view, they're, they're fairly straightforward sensors okay. in comparison to, to the others. I mean, one question about GPS, doesn't that burn the battery very quickly, though? I mean... It, it it does. And so there's it's a very multidisciplinary like challenge. So you need to make sure that the, the antenna is receiving the right signals, that there's no kind of crosstalk between different systems. And then you need to make sure that the GPS is kind of kept warm so it knows where the satellites are in the sky. And effectively, our, our strategy is to minimize the on time of the GPS. Because yes, it is power hungry. Okay. It might be quite interesting actually. This so um there was a researcher in Canada that I, I met with and they were talking about reducing that GPS power consumption by taking a snapshot of the signals and then offloading the processing of that data to the cloud. Hmm. Um, it, did, it didn't work for us, but it was quite an interesting approach to to address that power issue. Gotcha. You have like a hardware lab and stuff and you're like actually putting all these pieces together or, or is this kind of, you're, it's more like you're kind of ordering components from, I assume, from from the Far East or somewhere, wherever it's manufactured. I, do, I don't know. Am I thinking about it correctly or is that? Yeah, no, you are. But the, the hardware lab is basically my dad in his shed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not not quite, but um, he will, he's the electronics engineer. He's been doing this for 30 odd years. He's worked in the military, very, various parts of just high tech uh, components. So he's got a very good understanding of radio designing for radio systems making them low power clean sort of passing certifications various other aspects so he kind of brings together all of those different components so the gps the cellular components the wi-fi everything and in such a way that we can make it small and efficient so he would design the circuit boards we'll get them manufactured in or assembled in china and then they'll come back to the uk and if we're tinkering we might get sort of different core components from china assemble them ourselves in the office in in bristol it's yeah i in many ways i think uh, our office is um, a hardware developer's dream in that we have all of the like prototyping tools we can we can make pcbs we can cook them put we've got an oven we've got 3d printers so we can we can take all the core components from china from wherever and build a fully working prototype completely from scratch we try and not do that because it's quite time consuming. So actually what we end up doing is taking one of our products, modifying it, and then just running a PCB, an actual assembly build in China, and then 
bringing those core those components back to UK and then to programming them and turning them into products. But we effectively control every, every aspect of that that design cycle, which gives us huge flexibility. Are there a lot of customers with very specialized requirements or is it pretty much people just purchase kind of the off-the-shelf offering? I mean, I imagine if you have like containers or whatever, the, everyone's tracking their container in the same way, I would guess, or am I wrong? Both. Okay. <laughs> um, so everyone wants something slightly different. And I, this is a personal opinion, but my fundamental belief is that IoT hasn't really taken off because everyone wants something slightly different. And for it to work, you need... Uh, as you, you highlighted earlier, you need a huge wealth of sort of experience in the different platforms and technologies. So you've got the communication side, you've got the location side, you've got the various sensor, you've got the manufacturing side, and then all of the cloud stuff. Companies tend to focus on the container tracking, and then each individual company within that sector will want something ever so slightly different. They'll want it transmitting at different rate, different battery life characteristics. And so the core concept and the core idea is always the same. but Almost every company wants something ever so slightly different. We've addressed most of that by just developing a device that has loads of configuration parameters. That's and right. we then train our support team to guide people on how to use those because it's confusing. But that's, that's it's, been, it's been our approach is just make something that fits all, all use cases. Are, are many of these devices... Can they be updated kind of over the air after they're installed or it's more like you install them once and then you got to go back out to the field and and update them? Uh, so it's all over the air. So there's okay. there's two levels of it. So there's the the firmware update which you just completely rewrite all of the all of the code on on the device or there's very extensive configuration parameters which are again sent over the air. So Say, I mean, the most common use case, you put you put it on an asset, you want the battery life to last five years, you'll set your tracker to update twice a day, once every 12 hours, but then it gets stolen and you want to recover it. So you'll change that configuration parameter to send an update every five or 15 minutes, and then hmm. you can kind of follow it moving and you get a much you get several things. You get a better accuracy because the GPS is on more of the time, but also it helps you really find the item and if it's being taken into a storage warehouse where there's no signal you can see all the points leading up to where it went and so there's various use cases for updating that over the air that's a common use case things get stolen and people want to find it have you have you have you seen this i think they're dutch this new electric bike company where they promise you if the bike is stolen they'll replace it and the reason they're able to give that guarantee is because they they track the bikes and it's pretty wild. They tracked, you know, somehow they tracked a shipment all the way to Morocco and they found, a, you know, a warehouse with 6,000 bikes. I mean, not just their bikes, but all kinds of bikes and stuff like that. But the thing that's interesting that is, I guess, these devices have gotten so cheap and so powerful that, you know, things, whereas previously you maybe you might track the car, now you can track actually a, a bike and things that are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So, so you mentioned, uh, you know, batteries can last five years. Is that normal? That That's great. I mean, I didn't realize it had come that far. So I, that, that is our niche. So our our Pro device c- can last five years, and that's the one that's the size of a deck of cards. I would say it's somewhat common now in the industry. I mean, we were definitely the, the pioneers or the first ones there, which I'm quite happy to say. But since then, people have caught on. But you're still looking at quite large devices to achieve that five-year span. Okay. Competitive devices are probably more closer to brick size than they are to deck of card size. But 
on some assets it's a container you don't you don't care how big it is really so there's so that is fairly common now to have that multi-year battery life but not not so much in in small products so give us a sense of the size of the projects that you're working on i mean are these people who have huge fleets of vehicles and you have to develop thousands of these devices and things you know what's uh, give us a scope of it a little bit Sure. Yes. Yeah. So the, the, the large volume customers were very much our initial target market. We were like, right, well, if we can, if we can get DHL to put one of these in on each one of their containers, then we're, we're winning. Sure. We've met some resistance in that sector, predominantly because those companies understand the value of IoT. And we've all been told for the past 10 years that IoT is the next big thing, along with AI now. And they've, they've added a few things to it. But it's IoT plus AI plus, um, <laughs> say, <laughs> machine learning uh, and uh, yeah. all of it. Yeah. So they've all had their own in-house development projects where like, oh, well, w- w- we can do this. And they just chronically underestimate the complexity of the, of the field. And I think where I always lie, and I think one of your previous guests highlighted it, is that they'll typically work 90% of the time. It's the final like 10% due to signal issues or other reasons. Um, and 10% of devices not working is quite a big fraction if you're talking about millions of devices. Sure. Sending someone out to fix each one of them is just, it's not cost effective. So basically these companies, a lot of them, the bit in terms of the big ones, have tried to develop something themselves and not really gotten anywhere. That's all been a learning experience for us. And right now what we're focusing on is the the smaller smaller deployments so we're looking at in the tens to hundreds of devices where it's a it's a high value proposition so we're working with some some really big companies you usps canon network rail nespresso they they all are huge but what they're doing now is they're looking at the the devices and saying right we've got a very specific use case that we can we know it's going to generate value and they focus on that and that's basically where we're where, where we're coming in is the the deployments of a hundreds that might scale to thousands, but certainly not the tens of thousands. Basically, is is where, where we're we're coming in. At some point, the technology is going to mature, and either us or someone else is going to develop the the expertise required to absolutely nail down a single use case. But until then, and until people are willing to actually put the money down to say, right, I want to buy ten million devices, we're we're going to stay in this kind of smaller volume sector. You take your point that probably everyone wants the same thing, but they want it slightly differently. <laughs> and so as a result, it's not really the same thing. We see that actually with geocoding as well. And the, the weird thing is everyone assumes that the way that they want it is like the completely normal way. You know, they have no, <laughs> they have no awareness that they, they want it slightly different than the next guy. But so I guess the one piece we haven't really talked about so, so far is all the software and all the data. So the devices are generating all this data and then it's going where? Like you you run like a cloud or, or you, you collect it and then you just pass the data on to your customers or you then do things with the data or how to, how, what happens on that side of things? Effectively, all, all of the above. So we run a cloud system on AWS. We basically, I mean, so cl- cloud has been great for us in terms of scalability and just making running things easier. But sort of overall, the devices send an encrypted payload over TCP to to the server. The server will decrypt that and then do some things in terms of generating alerts and various other bits using your uh, geo- reverse geocoding service to to add an address to it. And then that will then get put in a database and then either it will go through an API to someone else's system or, and the most common currently, is people will use our app and our portal. So 
we have the front end in place as well to to display tracking data in a useful format so you can you can view trips you can sort of view location in parallel with temperature pressure humidity okay you've got those sensors enabled so it it very much is an end-to-end solution that, that we offer but it doesn't mean that everyone always wants that in a, quite a lot of cases people want to take that data and put it into their own system either for their own custom user interface or just because they want to extract the the information out of it right so what we're providing is data but the next level the back end level is the the information you can extract from that data and so we we're, we're working on this and it's constantly evolving, but we're doing things around virtual geofences, areas where the device might be spending more time than others. And we're, because obviously we have full control, we're collecting a huge amount of data, not on the, the privacy, uh, like, uh, sensitive side, but more, more in terms of signal strengths. And our devices will scan for nearby Bluetooth devices. So if you've got a Bluetooth temperature sensor nearby, it will pull that data, but and typically that use case, the sensor is moving with a tracker. But in another case, the, the beacon could be fixed and it will be pulling data from, well, what we know that this device is over here and we can use that in terms of location sending, uh, sort of calculating locations. Hmm. So we we try and basically make, again, cover all use cases, give the, the d- data that might be useful for any one number. Sorry, that's just reminded me, someone was using this Bluetooth feature. It's a researcher in Australia who was using the Bluetooth proximity detection to figure out if koalas were mating or fighting <laughs> at various points of the day <laughs> great great glad glad fantastic <laughs> finally finally we've cracked that one <laughs> okay yeah so i i mean a lot to unpack there i guess my next question was going to be around this issue of privacy are there privacy issues i mean any anytime you have location information there's obviously a privacy implication but and then i guess also i mean how do you avoid again it must be very difficult to build a system that remains flexible for all these different use cases, but that then just doesn't turn into absolute spaghetti, right? Where it's like all kinds of different sensors doing different things, and then the client wants different data in different formats, and, and then you've got to maintain that over time. Because I could imagine also you have to maintain these for quite a long time if, you know, once the device is in the field and getting used or whatever, right, you probably can't change things as, as that easily, and it must be a bit of a yeah. challenge, huh? To, as, to, as a, yeah, the, that that whole long term maintenance thing is is a challenge. We and but we take it very seriously, and that people kind of tr- put their trust in us and buy buy our devices. We still, I mean, as, luckily it's not that many, but we still support some of those devices that we built fifteen years ago. Wow, they're, they're still operational. They're still sending text messages. People still want to use them for whatever reason, and so we wow. we keep the systems running because the really realistically the cost is minimal to us, and if if they're still seeing value, then Great. So the, in terms of managing the, the data and all the different aspects, it's, it is tough. There's no, there's no single answer to, to how we do it. It's just, we try and keep everything sort of in mind when we're developing, say, right, well, how this, how will this affect our, our future operations? Uh, what's the performance implications of this? What's the uh, most important? What's the battery implications of this? And yeah, so, so far we've not really run into any issues where we've, really struggled to support legacy systems i'm sure it will come up at some point but luckily we've we've managed to avoid them any any new technologies coming coming online in the in the the, that you're excited about or any what are what are the new developments i struggled to to think about this in that in my view they're none of them are new they've been around for 10 years it's just they're suddenly 
becoming affordable or cost effective. But a good example of that is UWB ultra wideband. Okay. Apple have used that in their AirTags to give that really accurate range finding. We've had UWB in our devices for, I think, two or three years now. And it's been around for probably 10, 15 years. But the cost has finally come down to a level where it's acceptable that they can do these AirTags. Previously, the cost price of an AirTag might have been 70 quid. So that kind of makes it prohibitive for tracking keys. Right, whereas right. To, to bring that price down they've now kind of strangled the market and bought out the primary supplier of uw chips but that's, that's a, another discussion so but anyway that ultra wideband technology i think we're going to start seeing a lot more of so it's um high bandwidth but mainly because of the spread spectrum you can get very accurate time of flight measurements so you can know exactly how far away something is and because the price has come down we're going to probably see a lot more uses for for that technology where you're tracking things indoors or things that we're working on tracking things underground there's there's going to be a huge i think sort of growth in that in usage of that technology yeah i mean we definitely see more and more people coming to us wanting to track devices of of some sort so i guess it's I guess it is because of this, the drop in prices and things. But but what are what are some some interesting new industries that are new technology or new use cases that that you're coming across? Uh, one of our biggest ones is actually rail safety. So we're taking predominantly. So this was used for sur- surveying and survey survey equipment. Uh, we're t- taking RTK, which is um, effectively a corrected version of GPS, where you can get accuracies down to one or two centimeters. Okay. And so what that enables is, um, so we've, we've done, we've done this and we've trialed it and, um, you can have someone wearing one of our tags and you can get them walking around the parking spot. And as soon as they put their foot on the line or step over the curb, the thing will start triggering an alert because you've exited the geofence. Hmm. So we, I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of high accuracy technology, but price is going to remain high for, for the foreseeable future. So it will be limited to some applications, but. Overall, we're going to see accuracy both indoor and outdoor increase quite significantly. And so where we're seeing that come in, I mean, I'm just trying to think. So some of the things we're working on is, I mean, not sure this is new, but event tracking. So you've got dog sledding in Norway, marathon running. You've got PGA Tour that are tracking their golfers to tie into their shot link technologies. You know, when they, they draw the, the golf ball as it moves around, right. uh, they apparently it's helpful to know where it will shot from. Um, so they're using the technology there. I think it's going to be quite endless, just the number of use cases where knowing where something is and what it's doing, that's useful in loads of cases. Oh, there was one more I'm just thinking of, the the ocean, the ocean cleanup. Um, I don't know if you saw, they had something on the news fairly recently where they collected 10 tonnes of plastic with a giant net and two boats. Yeah, They're also trying to model and understand where plastic waste comes from. And to do that, they're putting our trackers inside some waste containers huh. that then get recycled or sent with the other waste. And then they can see it sort of in flood season in Guatemala. They can track and then use that information to create models to understand what's happening. Where exactly? That's fascinating. Huh. Cool. 
Very cool. Well, all right. So, so for all the listeners out there who you know have gotten excited about this and and want to get their hands dirty with all these kinds of technologies, what's what, what's the best way to kind of dive into it? Where, where can people start? How can they? Can I buy like a tracking kit myself and and play around with it? Or is what's the equivalent of kind of the Raspberry Pi of tracking? The Raspberry Pi of tracking. I, I mean, Raspberry Pi is one of them for sure. Um, I think typically people will use an Arduino with a modem as a shield i mean yeah as a shield so effectively the core concept is simple you have a gps module you have a cellular module you take the gps data send over the cellular network uh, to a server and i think i've seen quite a few examples where you can get started within sort of half an hour it's it it really is that that easy to, to get started once you start looking at getting lower power consumption and actually having a product that can be deployed that's where we would like you to people to come to us um, okay sure so our our concept really here is we're we're a technology enabler so we will provide a a finished product that is waterproof that's certified that has a long battery life and you don't really have to worry about and then you can tie it into your system very easily using our APIs so I think I once had an example of um, it was a municipality in Denmark that wanted to boost tourism to the area and they put trackers on some grazing cattle. I think it was a special type of cattle and they basically just within 15 minutes had the tracking information from the cattle on their website and ready for visitors to see and go and see where the where these cows were all right exciting not not sure that's going to get me on the plane to denmark but but you know we're, we're it's a start so yeah very cool but but definitely uh, of course we'll have the link to your website on in the show notes so people sh- can check out all the different offerings and things so so this is a very fast moving space what's the best place that people can kind of you know keep tabs on what's happening in the industry is, is there a way to like be aware without having to dive all the way in like are there any websites or mailing lists or how can people um that's a tricky one and i i will typically subscribe to various manufacturers mailing lists and then just read most of the tech standards tech news to be honest to see what see what people are doing yes it's a, it's a tricky one sorry i don't, I don't really have an answer i just yeah sorry. well this is my big complaint with the whole iot space is it's it's just too much it's too overwhelming i mean i remember a couple of years ago i went to a big iot event in barcelona like the big uh iot world they call it and you go in and it's just like you know, hall after hall of people. And it's actually not so simple to even understand, like, who do I need to talk to about what, like all the, you know, everyone's kind of claiming, oh, we do everything and we're, we have the best thing. And it's not so simple to to get the overview. So no, I, I can completely relate to that. I've been to, to a number of trade shows, not a huge fan of them, to be honest, but I, I've been to a few and I've I try and have that. I know, I know the sector, and I still confuse with what they do. Yeah. I, I don't understand what they're what they're selling. So, yeah, I think in terms of following trends, I would probably suggest looking at what the the bigger players are doing. So, for example, you, looking at releases around what Amazon's doing with their I can't remember what their their local network's called, but basically, what we're going to start seeing there is all of our smart smart home devices, including TVs, mobile phones, routers they'll start becoming gateways to the IoT. Hmm. So it's already in a lot of Samsung TVs, a lot of Amazon products. They've got the capability for low power local networks. And so if you follow what what those big companies are integrating, it'll give you a good idea of what is probably going to come next. So the the example of Apple, UWB, that's going to be 
uh, I think quite huge. Then you start looking at, yeah, again, so the, the Amazon, the, the low power network, it basically uses a, an ISM band, just same as your car keys, basically, or your garage key, but it's, it's low power. And so really what we're going to see is these kind of changes in, I guess, heterogeneous cloud compute or communications where you've got devices that are sending from one point to the next and then that might be in a mesh network and then that will eventually make its way to the cloud and so i i, I do think that the most useful thing would be probably to, to look at what the big the bigger players are doing because they're trying to control that infrastructure and so if you look at where the infrastructure is going you can probably get a good a good idea of where the devices are going okay well fantastic chris thank you thank you very much for taking the time to come update us and hopefully we can get you to london to actually speak at, a, at an event and i'm sure wacky use cases like koala mating and and cow tracking will be crowd favorites so yeah so so what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and and where can they buy your devices where can they learn about the devices how can they get in touch sure yeah so if so people want to reach out to me directly linkedin is probably the, the best place so yeah chris guest i think i've i've nabbed the url iot dash expert very nice <laughs> so that should hopefully uh, find me fairly easily uh, otherwise and i am not that great at replying to linkedin to be honest i get i get a lot of messages email or just our contact us form on the website which is that's currently the lightbug.com okay. we're going to move to more trendy lightbug.io but yeah for, for now if you just google uh, lightbug you should be able to to define this pretty easily and just reach out and get in touch very nice so we'll get all that in the show notes then as well so well thanks again chris appreciate it thanks Ed. bye Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is Geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future Geomop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.